Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. You guys really are cowboys. What's your problem, Kazansky? You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Nice, man. I am dangerous. In this episode, we're sweating into our jeans with 1986's Top Gun, piloted by English director Tony Scott, who went on to have huge success with films such as True Romance and Enemy of the State, and written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., Top Gun remains nothing less than a motorcycle-straddling, towel-slapping phenomenon. Tonight, we'll be soaring above the clouds of our hero Maverick and exploring his connections with the wisecracking goose, the glamorous Charlie, and the cerebral Iceman. Are the friendships we make under pressure a highway to the danger zone? You'll never know what you can do until you get it up as high as you can go. Talk to me, Kat. So as you were saying before we started recording, Rich, this might be one of the most quoted films ever made. And in particular, it made very popular a term which is wingman, which is extremely relevant when it comes to relationships, isn't it? I think so. I guess in the dating sphere or when you're, I suppose, in, in a bar or a club trying to uh, woo someone of the opposite sex <laughs> or, or same sex, you know, um, I, I think having someone, again, your wingman holding holding your side, you know, helping you out, giving you that moral support as you pursue whoever it is that you're after, whether you're singing the Righteous Brothers into them or one of those memes of you just shouting into a girl's ear in a nightclub while she looks bemused. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I, I couldn't put my finger on where it started, but everyone knows that Wingman is from Top Gun because you don't, never leave your Wingman. And I think it's nice that it transcends into dating life as well as one of the greatest movies of all time yeah i definitely have used it with my friends as i think it's it's something that's become a really handy term actually because it because the term wingman does specify something in particular doesn't it when you're when you're maybe out on the town when you're doing things it's not just it's not just someone being your friend it's someone looking out for you isn't it when you're at your most vulnerable when you've got that karaoke microphone in your hand <laughs> And you're about to go down in flames. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Do you what? What is it? Do you reckon about Top Gun that makes it so incredibly popular? Maybe particularly with guys. Um, I, I think that camaraderie between uh, Maverick and Goose. I think the rivalry that Maverick has with with Iceman, and the way that the different pairs bounce off each other like originally Maverick and Goose weren't the top contenders to go to Top Gun but it was Cougar but when he goes to Top Gun he's immediately sort of puts himself in this position of being the number one Um, Iceman and and Slider are there and they're the kind of rivals and it's you've got this kind of such a strange dynamic where the pilot is the, the leader and the Rio is the I say the lackey, but they they are the wingman almost, and they're very much in pairs. Everything about it, the the quotes, the looks, everything about how they interact. I mean, the looks. There's so much acting here without words. Yes. The non the non verbal communication between a lot of them is just off the charts in a way that you don't 
get in a lot of films. And I mean, this, you know, th- this is a film for men by men. And, um, but I think there are so many themes in there, which quite easily work in, in many other settings is just how this one happens to be decorated. But, um, yeah, I think if, if you change it somewhat, and obviously with Top Gun, the, the sequel coming, coming soon, there are female characters in there. There are female pilots because of course it's, times have changed um for the better and it'll be interesting when that film comes out to see how the dynamics there are different as well yes yes completely no there's a there's a lot there's a lot hanging on isn't there i mean it's been it's been a long time coming see how they they match up i think they're gonna have quite a difficult job though aren't they following up from top gun the original film because this is it really holds up as something that's so distinctive and as you say there's something about it the way it packs such a visual punch I mean I I, I'm not a massive action movie fan and I have watched Top Gun quite a few times and I really enjoy it and I've been in preparation for recording this trying to sort of dissect why that is and I think one of the reasons is that it's is probably quite close, isn't it? To like a, as close as a film can get, maybe to being a very slickly made eighties pop video. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it you know it as you say it it's not massively heavy with dialogue, and it really pours a lot of attention into its visuals and in terms of the relationships. A lot of the atmosphere around the relationships is kind of um done as you say through things like eye contact and music and um setting and and the kind of the pressure that you see people under when they're when they're flying when they're I mean did did it as when you were watching it when you were young when did you see it for the first time um I was probably early teens I think I don't think it was one of those ones that I was particularly aware of much younger than that, even though it was probably more accessible than your Robocops and Predators and stuff that I would have probably seen far too young. But um, I, I think this is one of the films I've appreciated the older I've got. And and perhaps that music video aesthetic is, is quite accurate. And when you look at the love scene between Maverick and Charlie, it does look like a pop video mm. because it's, billowy and the lighting and obviously the the music playing over the top take my breath away and there's just so much tongue so yes. much tongue yes there's a lot of tongue. well we'll get to that where we have mm. we need to pace ourselves yeah we, yeah we can't we can't start with the tongue too much. <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold the tongue hold the tongue defense department regrets to inform you that your sons are dead because they were stupid <sighs> great balls of fire Goose is really important, I think, to Top Gun because if you take the character of Goose out, it all becomes a little bit too much, doesn't it? Because he's there to kind of add a little bit of kind of knowing humour. He's like the kind of real person amongst the slightly cartoonish characters, isn't he? Yeah, because I think he he tries to keep Maverick in check. Um, Maverick is... He's a Maverick, but he's... A lot of what he does <laughs> is showboating. A lot of what he does is bravado. It's it's real silly stuff. And, Ma- and and Goose tries to kind of remind him that 
as he says, he's got a wife and kid. He needs this job. He he's always reminding him of the thing that he's about to do that's stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's like kind of like the conscience on his shoulder. Um, yes. Trying to remind him that you know you might be the best pilot in the navy, but you've got to act responsibly. Yes. Um, but of course, Maverick is a maverick, and and thus most of the time does not listen, which um, which obviously goes against him. But every time Maverick gets a telling off, mm. Goose is there, you know, accepting it too. They're a team. He's acknowledging that, but he's very much always saying to him, like, "Don't do it." And I think it's difficult because Maverick tries to listen, but then the adrenaline and gets too much for him and he just goes ahead and does a flyby anyway or something like that yes yes and he's even trying to keep maverick in check isn't he in the bar he says you live your life between your legs and Mm. he's trying to kind of discourage him from launching into his his serenade and now i think that goose is actually even though he hasn't got a massive amount of screen time and he doesn't have a huge amount of dialogue but i think that um they do a really great job, don't they, of conveying a friendship. I think that most of us really envy because, as, as you say, it's that it's that combination of someone really having your back while also being straight with you. He's not some kind of yes man who's just there to fawn over Maverick. He does actually kind of you know call him out, but when the push comes to shove, he's gonna be loyal to him. I think that's a really good combination, isn't it? It's really, yeah, really nice to see. Because I think with that, on the flip side, with Iceman and Slider, for example, Slider seems like his butler, his servant. Um, and I think that, that first scene where you meet Val Kilmer in the bar and Slider, he says, oh, Slider, because no, Mr. Slider to you. Yeah. <laughs> and it just seems like such a like proper Smithers type character. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of scenes where he kind of breaks... A little. I think there's the one scene where Maverick does something reckless but gutsy, and he says that's the gutsiest move I ever saw. As though it's like Mr. Slider's going to beat me for this later, but I have to tell you this. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we see enough of their relationship to say that they are are different. And I think Iceman is, you know, he's Iceman. He's everything has to be done in a certain way, and Slider's there for the ride. You know, he's he's very good at what he does. But I think a lot of that is probably it's like a celebrity in his PA or something like that. But um. yes, yeah, that's a really good um, comparison. I think that their their dynamic comes off really like that. When they're shown sort of off duty in their quarters, Maverick's there, kind of looking very pensive to to soft music. Yeah, um, he has a massive hang up about his his dad dying on. In, in service uh, doing yes. the same you know he was a fighter pilot as well so that's kind of his big thing he doesn't have a wife and kids and, and sounds like he's a serial if want of a better word shagger yeah and hasn't got any roots really because his, his dad died his mum died around the same time as well so he doesn't have that and, and Goose talks about the wife and kids his responsibility and then when he meets them uh, when, when we meet them they ground Goose and Maverick's kind of on the cusp he's like a sort of surrogate like an uncle the fun uncle yes. in the bar but um that's quite important i think it shows that he's this another 80s movie trope like a lone wolf does things his way 
renegade. Yes, exactly. I mean, something that I think is done really nicely through the movie because it's it's a strange strange combination, Top Gun, because on the one hand, it feels as if there's nothing more 80s than Top Gun, but it's got this thread running through it that feels as if it's um, trying to convey the memory that Maverick has of his dad, where they're playing you, you know, Great Balls of Fire and the Righteous Brothers and um, sitting on the dock of the bay and all this music that would have been around when um, Maverick's dad was around. And also when you think about Tony Scott as a director, you know, he would have been growing up around, you know, the 50s and the 60s as well. So it's, there's something about the way he um, kind of weaves that music into, into the movie and then also the way Kelly McGillis is styled, which I could talk about forever, which is also very kind of timeless. You know, she she actually a lot of a lot of the images of this movie actually have dated way way better than a lot of some of the other eighties movies. I don't know what you think, being the eighties movie expert, but actually there's something really classic about the way a lot of people in this movie look. That doesn't actually, you know, you don't see a picture of Kelly Miller and go, oh, look at that ridiculous massive hair. And, you know, she looks, it just looks like a brilliant movie image, doesn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of the films of that era do because they they have elements of fashion involved. And, and, and I guess with Charlie, they've kept it fairly say timeless, maybe not the right word, but she doesn't look like she's trying to be an 80s actress no it's much more 40s or 50s isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. and i think when you compare it to say easy fish here working girl yeah and you look at melanie griffith there that was and and again that you know that film was a, a something of a parody of yuppie culture very very late 80s new york so of course that has aged because it, it's meant to look like that um but i think as well because of the film because a lot of the scenes take place of men in uniform and that uniform doesn't age yes. really so i think you know and, and i'm sure if anyone listens to this who's a plane geek will say oh well that plane is clearly from 1985 <laughs> i don't give a shit it's um the way it's dressed everyone like um charlie drives a classic car yes so yes. it's not like she's driving a 1985 porsche yeah exactly and even even the image of maverick on his motorbike with his aviators is a bit similar to Marlon Brando in The Wild One. Everyone looks very sweaty. Everyone's glistening. Yes, they are, they are. Far too much. I mean, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, like the early and the late scenes are set in the Indian Ocean and and the the bases in California, which is always sunny. Yeah. Um, but then I suppose we're watching this. You know, we're not tanned and and all that. I mean, well, I speak for myself anyway. But it's um, <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it was a deliberate thing because yes, there, there's elements of '60s, mostly nostalgia there. Yeah. Um, and the way that the film is structured it's around trying to regain when u.s air force was at its kind of peak in the 60s when they yes. were talking about how or, or in korea when oh we 
we were winning 12 to 1 and all this stuff and, and there were there was a nostalgia for that time because that was when they were more successful yes uh, pre-vietnam and yeah. and i think there's a lot of things there that when you look at the relationships that's something that if if you look at now in 2022 you know the, the film is often parodies as being homoerotic and and the amount of physical contact and let's be honest flirting between Mav and Iceman you know that that bit where we the quote at the beginning with the dangerous that that mouth biting gesture that Val Kilmer does at Tom Cruise yes that's you know highly charged (laughs) um and 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 I do wonder if if the film was made now whether that would be more they would actually do that they would change there would be a, a, a sexuality change to it. I'm not saying they would or they should, but I, you know, everything here was heavily laid on, and it's kind of left to the 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 viewer to interpret. Yes. And I do wonder if, you know, as, as things have changed, I'm not saying mainstream Hollywood so much, but if there would be a homosexual relationship between two of the pilots, it doesn't matter who, that would be something that they'd probably explore differently now than they would have done in the mid-80s. Although the the exchange between them where they, he says, it gives me a hard-on, don't tease me. Yeah, that exchange, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily feel particularly um, as if they're kind of, they're trying to steer clear of the implication there might be some homosexuality. Excuse me, a hard-on. By the end of Vietnam, that ratio was back up to 12 to 1. Don't tease me. Isn't there some truth in that when you put men together, there is sometimes quite a lot of intensity and quite a lot of physical intensity? And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that people are same sex. No, not at all. I I, I agree. I mean, it's probably quite common in in sports or in certain industries if if you're in that kind of world. Um, A lot of guys joke about that kind of stuff and make comments that you know, ultimately don't necessarily mean anything. You know, they're, they're just, I'm not, I don't want to use the word banter, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot of hijinks and stuff. And I think in, in that environment, and, and as we joked, you know, there, there are only two women in the Top Gun world and yes. it's like stags, they're rutting, banging heads together and stuff. It's, um, you know, and there's all this stuff about. I'm sure they said something else about. There's a hard on when they. I think when they're chasing the Migs in the last scene. As like, I've got a hard on, I know there's Migs present. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. There is that, isn't there? So it yeah. it, it comes up a few times. That's what she said. So it's definitely um, a theme, but I think it's mostly around masculinity and the way that men interact when there's a lot of testosterone and egos flying around egos that your body can't cash yeah and as you know given your interest in john ham who's going to be in the sequel you know men can be very interested in other men but not necessarily in that way yeah i mean if if, (laughs) you know a man looks like he smells amazing and dresses well and my first choice. You were here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. 
what that is, I can't imagine. I, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent documentary about Val Kilmer that he made about himself. Oh, no. The, the, there's not a huge amount of Top Gun in the... There's maybe four or five minutes. Um, this is all made by him and his, his son around... Because he was like a freak for taking a camcorder everywhere he went. So on the set of Top Gun, he had a camcorder. All all these other films he's done, he's always been there with a video camera. Oh, wow. And so there's behind-the-scenes clips and parties and stuff. And it turned out that he went to Juilliard with Kelly McGillis. And he made a point of saying that he and Tom Cruise kind of deliberately didn't mix so that they wouldn't become friends and change what would be perceived to be the dynamic yes, yes. of the two. And he said, because I read something, that he, oh, he actually said in there he didn't want to be in the film, but he was contractually obliged to be in it. I mean, as part of his studio contract, they said, you're going to be in Top Gun, and he didn't have much of a choice. So he said his character was so poorly written, he basically described that his he was a perfectionist and he was he'd had a dad who sort of beat him and he was trying to be this perfectionist which is why he was ice cold the way he was mm. and and that's what rubbed up against maverick in that way which yeah. when you hear that explanation it kind of makes a lot more sense as to why there is that that fierce rivalry between the two yeah, I mean, did you, when you used to watch it when you were younger, did you used to perceive Iceman as a villain or did you think he was someone with good sense just trying to rein a wild card in? I think the, the younger I was, the more I thought he was the baddie. Um, yeah. Obviously being old now and having a different head on, you're kind of thinking, you know, that stuff around, he says, you're unsafe. That's how I think. Everyone's yeah. like, yes, you're taking risks. What? Do things safely and pro- take your time. Do it properly. Um, God, I'd hate to work with Maverick. No, I know. I mean, it's such a hilarious and brilliant exchange that with um, Maverick going. That's right, Ice. I am dangerous. <laughs> what, what point are you trying to make here? I mean, it's it's wonderful, but it doesn't actually make any sense, does it? Really, it does make Maverick kind of look bonkers. <laughs> Because there's that bit of, you know, when he says about, we have to wonder whose side you're on, you know, like, you're dangerous and foolish. <laughs> and it's, it's weird watching it because you're kind of, now I'm in my 40s and thinking, God, Iceman's right. He's so... <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh. Poor Goose is there having to oh. kind of in, endure it all and, and um, <laughs> stick up for him while he's while he's being like this. The bite is so interesting. It's like, what led to the bite? It's weird. It's just so visual and so (laughs) powerful, right in his face. Yeah. You see, that's the kind of thing they wouldn't have now. Like, I bet bet there won't be a moment like that in the sequel. I just love the fact that that's all left in. (laughs) I'm just going to try this. For this take, I'm just going to try this thing. (laughs) <laughs> and does that and they're like yeah okay we'll go with it <laughs> is that like method acting <laughs> yeah I think so I mean I, I don't know if, like uh, it's worth watching that Val Kilmer documentary it's called yeah. Val and and one bit that I did tease you that I had a bit of goss from the documentary oh yes yes um, Val Kilmer date for the premiere was Cher <gasps> amazing that is incredible. Yeah, who apparently either before or afters also dated Tom Cruise. 
Um, <laughs> this is probably before she dated Nicolas Cage. So, That's yeah, she, fantastic. Shares Maverick, basically. She is. <laughs> She's dangerous. She's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, the thing is about the the incredibly famous volleyball scene, which I think is is relevant to the relationships because it's so physical and um, really puts across that kind of knockabout physicality that all these guys have with each other, doesn't it? What do you think of that scene? It's very macho. Mm. It's, I mean, it's completely impractical with Tom Cruise playing in jeans. But there's <laughs> there's so much physicality in there. Yeah. That it kind of has, it, it pairs them off. You've got Mav and Goose. You've got Ice and Slider. And there's all the high fives and all that throwing themselves around in the glistening sun. And then Maverick tears himself away for Charlie. Yeah. You know, even when they're strutting and all this physical stuff, he still thinks, well, I've got a hot date here. <laughs> and he leaves his wingman quite literally. to. Yes, yeah. And I, and I think that kind of shows a little bit around where his head's at. Um, yes, yeah. And not necessarily in a bad way because he's... He's a red-blooded male, apparently. and But you're still in that position where, in his kind of place, he's at the peak of his physical powers, mm. playing sport, volleyball, sorry, um, against his two big rivals. Yeah. And yet he tears himself away for, for a date. It's, um, it's an interesting decision. I mean, I don't blame him. You know, there's only so much volleyball you can play. It looks like hard work, but it's um. But yeah, and, and you know, he he puts his eggs in in Charlie's basket. <laughs> well, it's I don't I don't know why he started to play the game of volleyball when he knew it was coming up to the time of the date. I mean, I'd be <laughs> at that point if it was someone that I really fancied, I would have been in the shower I think an hour ago. And... But he's maverick. He plays by his own rules. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I think it shows arrogance. Most of us, you know, would be making sure that we didn't have dirt under our fingernails at that point and stuff, you know? He's got sand in all sorts of places. Yes, yes, it's very true. I mean, I think it's telling that that scene is, I mean, it is an incredible scene, the way it looks and the way it's shot, but people make so much of a fuss about the fact that there's a scene where scantily clad men play sport together. And from a female point of view, I just have to say, you know, it's like, this happens all the time in 80s movies when it's women. There's constantly scenes where there are like bikini clad women and people don't make a massive fuss about the fact that the scene is there. But the thing that I think is kind of quite great about Top Gun, it's kind of similar to Point Break actually, is that it does have that kind of female gaze aspect to it where the women actually get to keep their clothes on and it's the men that are objectified a little bit more by the camera and so it sort of flips it in the way that, you know, most 80s films, it would be the other way around. But because in this movie, it's the men that the camera is sort of lingering on, people people just can't get over it, can they? They just think that it's just an unbelievable thing that that, that it exists. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. How daring of them. <laughs> How daring of them. I, I mean, when you think about it, and, you know, in most of these action films of the era there was some gratuitous nudity yes in 
some way. Yeah. And in this, I mean, when you think about the love scene between Maverick and Charlie, she has a shirt on and yeah. he's topless. Mm-hmm. And then basically she's then, you don't see anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking notes. This isn't like the, the guys in Knocked Up. Um, but this is, you don't see it. And I mean, it's not relevant, you know, but it's, no. but then there's plenty of, topless men you know but yeah, yeah it's all, yeah. all those films and it's not just a, a thing of that era as before and after when there's always these scenes of women in the showers at school yes. or at college or whatever and it's like that can't be real like yeah that doesn't happen on that level and yet it's accepted and it's not in here and I'm not going to say the film doesn't suffer because the film's brilliant and <laughs> You know, seeing a female nipple isn't going to give this film an extra 0.2 on IMDb. No, it's. I think it's something about the film that holds up quite well. Actually, is the way it doesn't feel as if it's made made for men in a misogynistic way. It's about predominantly about male camaraderie and also about Abrick's relationship with his late father. But that isn't necessarily at the expense of women. Because I think even um, uh, Meg Ryan's character, she's not in the film for very long, but it's partly testament to how great Meg Ryan is. She feels she feels um, fleshed out as a character, doesn't she? She doesn't feel as if she's just there to be, to be an ornament to the movie. She feels like someone that you know, doesn't she? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people will remember just like goosey big stat <laughs> take take me to bed or lose me forever what a line when i saw that when i was like, i think i think i saw this one for the first time when i was a teenager i thought that the line was take me to bed and lose me forever <laughs> so i which i thought was sort of implying that you take someone to bed and then kind of like lose them under the covers like <laughs> And they're kind of horsing, horsing around, kind of way. So um, yeah, it was quite a while before I found out what it actually said. Yeah. So um, works either way, I reckon. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, you just get, you get yourself lost in the moment. Well, hopefully yeah, more, more exactly. than a moment. But um... actually, is it considering that they only have a couple of scenes together? They're a very convincing married couple, aren't they? That have wonderful chemistry. Yeah, young young couple, don't they? It's hard to know the age but they do seem like they've married they were probably like high school sweethearts or something yeah yeah and and have their child miles teller and it's um it'll be interesting to see what happens and i don't make this about a sequel but but bear in mind we haven't talked about the fact that goose dies in mm. this film yeah. and that one of the storylines in the new film is about goose's son yeah being being taught by maverick now there's a dynamic I look forward to seeing. But when you look at the scene where Goose dies and Maverick's reaction afterwards, and I'm, you know, I'm saying this to the detriment of the film, but it's all about his reaction to it. There is there is a scene where he gives the box of belongings to, to Meg Ryan and she blows smoke up him about how great he was and, and everything. But it's... Yeah. Maverick treats it... It's not just his wingman. It's his grieving like he's lost a lover yes um you know it's like a, a wife or a husband has died 
and that's why he takes it so personally because they were that close because they were so entwined um and that's why it hits him so hard yeah well he says you're the only family i've got doesn't he yeah Yeah. and he, he plays that pretty well because i suppose it i mean it is you'd lose your best friend and your only friend probably but you know death seems to follow maverick around yeah you know he's lost his mum he's lost his dad and now he's lost his his best friend it's heavily done over like the, you know with the music and the the instagram filter scenery and stuff but it's all very you kind of it feels quite real yes well one of the things oddly that i used to before i before i saw top gun and I was a little girl, there was a re-release of Take My Breath Away that, at the beginning of the 90s that got into the charts. And um, I remember hearing it on the radio a lot. And something about Take My Breath Away as a power ballad, the reason that I think that it's quite a good power ballad is that it has this really ghostly quality to it. And I can remember when I was little hearing it and... Um, Actually, I think it kind of gave me a little bit of an uneasy feeling because you know that thing sometimes where you sort of hear things on the radio or see things on TV when you're small and and they just feel a bit eerie for some reason. And I can remember thinking, oh, it's sort of it sounds a little bit kind of sort of strange in that way. And then when I saw the film and some of those themes that you're talking about with um, Goose dying and um, Maverick grieving that happening and then grieving the death of his father I thought actually the way that song sounds is they've they've done that really quite well haven't they because it's even though it's this sort of power ballad that might be about your central love story with Charlie it also has this sort of strange haunting quality to it so when you get the kind of synth lines kind of coming in every now and again in the film it has um even though the film has all of this kind of joyous sort of joie de vivre to it it also has this sort of strange little bit of a strange poignant aspect doesn't it i think there's the thing about the soundtrack of the film is that it does there are a couple of like take my breath away and date i mean danger zone gets played at some in some way at, at least five times throughout the movie and i think it's but they cho- they choose different parts of each song with that and take my breath away where it fits into the the motif of the film and it fits into the narrative of yeah. where they are at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess when you get towards the finale and Maverick, after being publicly dragged by Iceman when they get selected for the final mission, you know, he's the one who steps up and comes to the rescue. Yeah, of course, he, he has the he saves the day, as it were. And you wonder again when you get that kind of line at the end where he says you can be my wingman anytime yeah and bullshit you can be mine yeah i mean it's such a great way to to end it and you do have some interest in seeing where that relationship goes because you know they don't this isn't the end of their careers this is the beginning yeah but then they go off to do their separate things and and maybe we'll find out what happens but they look like they become because they have this massive respect for each other at the end anyway i think maverick kind of had to prove not just to himself but to iceman as though iceman's the sort of judge jury and executioner the ultimate naysayer but he i think maverick kind of redeems himself in the eyes of everyone at that point and their relationship is now complete yes i mean with the 
the theme of the, of the wingmen. Do you think there is something interesting about it as a movie in terms of kind of showing you how bravery has also got to be kind of wrapped up with this feeling of loyalty and responsibility and not, you know, not letting someone else get shot down out there just for the sake of your own victory? You've got to self-sacrifice a bit. I guess. I mean, there's... And it must be difficult... I, I've never been a fighter pilot. I mean, it may shock some people, but um, to have, you know, if you're someone's wingman, you know, but there are a couple of scenes I think where Iceman says, "I have the lead. I'm taking, you know, I'm taking charge here." And if you're like an elite pilot, and you hear that, and it must be weird to then go, "Okay, I'll be number two. Okay, I'll be, I'll be the, you know, yeah. you go ahead. I'll be your wingman." And and there is yeah. that hierarchy there. Where even when Maverick says at the end, bullshit, you can be mine. Yeah. It's like, well, Iceman won Top Gun. And yet at the end, he had to be saved by Maverick, who is then the hero and gets to choose his own posting. Yes. Which, is, which would be the dream. Yeah, it's, it's, there is a hierarchy there as well that, that you wonder where the clash of egos would be, especially between yes. those two, because they're both alphas in their own way, albeit one's a self-confessed dangerous <laughs> and, and the other's a biter do you think he gets Iceman to melt by the end of the film <laughs> he melts his icy heart yeah <laughs> Iceman clearly has a kind of grudging professional respect for Maverick because he's good at what he does but I mean it must be difficult if you're that kind of perfectionist to have to work with someone but then it's a team sport team game everyone brings their own strengths and weaknesses and i guess it took maverick essentially probably starting world war three which is how the film ends um <laughs> in order to to secure the love of, of val kilmer so yes you know the, the lengths that some people go to to get a friend <laughs> Do you think that uh, do you think that Danger Zone is kind of the love theme of the film for um, that kind of combination of male camaraderie stroke rivalry? Um, what as what where you think that Take My Breath Away is the the him and Charlie one? Yeah, maybe yeah. So, maybe the him and Charlie one maybe com- combined with with a bit of a kind of general feeling of grief. But um, mm. yeah, do you think Danger Zone sort of represents? that kind of like yeah okay we're gonna go for it we're gonna wrestle around (laughs) i mean it's just peak macho guy isn't it (laughs) yeah kenny Kenny loggins in the 80s but it's um imagine having that as your personal theme tune it's just iconic isn't it um and it's not even the top gun theme you know the top gun theme is his own thing by harold fultemeyer which it's just when you hear it at the start of the film and the Paramount titles, you go, <laughs> yeah, you get those shivers. But then Danger Zone is the kind of the the adrenaline rush. Yeah, it's not quite the same when you play it out your car when you're driving. <laughs> I mean, I can never Giorgio Moroder because I um, and it, Kenny Loggins performed it, but Giorgio Moroder wrote Danger Zone and. Mm take my breath away and um Georgia Murray also did you know I feel love and together in electric dreams and what a feeling for flash dance and stuff I mean it's incredible talent isn't it to be able to just <laughs> convey to go because I think he was taken to a screening and then you know wrote the music based on what he'd um, what he'd seen mm-hmm. 
better. I could give you quite a good rendition right now of um, Lead Me On by Tina Marie. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the Easter egg at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you did your podcast episode on Top Gun with Simon London for the Betamax podcast, which is fabulous, um, I can remember you guys talking about how the movie looks like that those kind of like orange tones and how sort of yeah just how golden the whole thing i mean do you think that's all really quite important in terms of like conjuring up a kind of moment moment in your life a moment in youth where those kind of relationships whether it be like a really exciting sexual relationship or these incredibly intense friendships are just something that's really at the surface of your experience um it's difficult to compare because Growing up in the UK, you don't get those kind of sunsets, sunrises. I think, you know, not even just as a as an actual, but as a feeling. I guess when you're in those passionate relationships or whatever, it does feel a bit like that, where you don't feel like it's pasty and grey and dry. Everything's wonderful. Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing, because Tony Scott... I think grew up, you know, in a coastal town near Newcastle. Mm. And that's something that's so surprising, isn't it? When you watch Top Gun, it, it doesn't feel as if the kind of the, the the vision behind it is someone that would have been growing up in in, um, in rainy rainy England, does it? Mm. It's it's quite it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think him, you know, along with people like Alan Parker and Adrian Lynn, like some of the some of these people that have done some of the most iconic. I'm trying to. I'm always trying to avoid using the word iconic, and it's really hard when you're doing an episode on Top Gun. Um, but some of these iconic kind of American movies that have this sheen to them. Sometimes you you think maybe there is something about how if you if you if you grew up in a setting that's so different to this, maybe you're able to then kind of bring bring a different perspective to showcase it in this incredible way because I think he'd worked in advertising before mm. and I think that really comes through doesn't it it's it's almost like because didn't they they had a big take up didn't they for people that wanted to to join the air force and as a result of the, the movie yeah there was a out. I think some trivia that they they put recruitment stands in the cinemas after for when people were coming out one thing I I, I thought we kind of haven't, and it's, again, you know, I talked earlier about low-hanging fruit and yes. stuff, um, and, and in the relationship between Charlie and Maverick. Yeah, I um, want to dig into this. Yeah, because, <laughs> and, and in some cases, you might literally physically have to dig into it, because I believe that in some scenes a trench was used to mask the height difference between the two. But um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because there were there was one scene that was clearly filmed afterwards. Yes. Um, the scene of them in the lift where yes. she's wearing the cap because her hair's a different colour and his hair's a lot longer. Yeah. And I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, they've, they've put that back. They've obviously gone away from a test screening or whatever and gone, oh, we need a scene of them in the lift. Mm-hmm. Him just out of the shower or the gym or something. But um, yes. when you look at their relationship and, and the fact that after he initially quits, when after Goose has died and she's gone for a job with the Pentagon... She's essentially, once he's started World War Three, he's <laughs> he's gone back to Top Gun as a trainer, a flyer as an instructor. She's then 
given up her dream job at the Pentagon. So I suppose if you work in that industry, especially as a civilian, going to the Pentagon is kind of like you know the mothership. So she's given it up to be with him. So are they going to work together at Top Gun? So then you're adding a professional layer into that as well. Yes. Where they're going to yes. be working in the same office every day. It's going to get boring. They're going to have arguments about who bought the milk. Suddenly becomes a lot more mundane and it's not sort of take my breath away. It's who's taking the bins out. Okay, I guess it's my turn, isn't it? All right. The bet is $20. $20. All right. You have to have carnal knowledge of a lady this time <laughs> on the premises. On the premises. Come on, ma'am. Bet's a bet. I don't know. It just, uh, just doesn't seem fair. For you, I mean. But, uh... She's lost that loving feeling. She's like, no, she hasn't. Yes, she has. She has not lost that look because she's lost it, Matt. Come on. That scene where he serenades her comes in for quite a lot of criticism because it's, you know, it's done sort of so in such a kind of toe curling way. But I've, I've always kind of quite liked that. I quite like that he crash, that he has a big crash and burn with her. I think that that's good at showing you a little bit about how Maverick has become used to taking a certain approach and just does a bit of a cut and paste hmm. move with the women that he meets in bars and that with this woman, it isn't going to work. And I think that if we saw him being really slick, then he wouldn't be quite as much of an interesting character. I think we have to see him fail. Yeah, because the the you've lost that love and feeling is clearly a setup. Because when he says to Goose, she's lost that love and feeling, and he yeah. goes, "Oh no, oh no, no, no." <laughs> um, and then the line I think afterwards when she says, "Have you done this before?" First time crash and burn. Second time, I'll tell you in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then follows her into the ladies' room. Just so awkward. <laughs> Like, <laughs> the moment in the ladies is just brilliantly like what what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's just weird um, yeah. <laughs> I guess it, some people might find it uncomfortable because it's like a publicly it's like when you I suppose if you're on live TV and propose marriage to someone and they sort of say inevitably someone sometime has turned around and said no yes you know and there is that kind of public ritual there yeah i mean i've always quite liked that whole scene actually because even when he follows her into the ladies it's not shot in some kind of erotic way or anything it's all really kind of brightly lit she's in there she's obviously thinking like why are you here she's like well i'm here to have sex with you <laughs> i'm here in my uh, bright white uniform yeah. Yeah. and it all sort of plays out in quite a clunky way uh, but I quite like that because it feels quite real. It's like, yeah, he's he's in this mode where he thinks he can be this cheesy and ridiculous and put these moves on her and it's not working. And that's kind of great, I think. Yeah, I think the fact that as soon as he walks into the toilet and it's, like you say, it's brightly lit, yeah. this is not a place where romance happens. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no one giving out mints or lollipops in the corner in a spray of... This is a ladies' room. It's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a seedy motel. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, completely. 
And then, yeah, and you think, what's going to his head? Because he's proposing that they have sex on the counter. But surely people are going to be coming in and out through the swing doors. But as we said, there's only two ladies in the film. So unless Meg Ryan... Oh, I see, see yes. As well, so. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think you see a couple a couple in that bar scene where they just have these shots of kind of these um, sort of very 80s women in scrunchies just sort of like wiggling their shoulders like up for a good time. Fawning over the fresh men. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose we do meet Viper's wife towards the end as well when when he goes to his house. But again, she's very much like an American service wife. She's completely succumbed to his career. Yes. And I think yeah. she, she refer, does she refer to him as Viper? Like, imagine if- well, she used to be when I was when I first saw this movie. Mm. This was um, her bit was for some reason I latched onto her her little bit as the bit that made me laugh the most because there was something about her and her appearance as just an everyday housewife opening the door and going, "Oh, hey, Maverick, come in." <laughs> <laughs> I used to find hilarious. And then she's married to Tom Skerritt in his oversized shirt. Yes, yeah. Um, There's something inherently very funny about all. Yeah, but I don't. I can't remember if she refers to Viper as Viper, or by his real name. I sure is it Mike or something. If you had like a call sign or or a work (laughs) a work nickname, I said no, 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 call me that all the time. I I want to be known as like Dirty Derek or whatever. I think that's why everyone relates a lot to Goose. Because I think all of us think, yeah, that's more like the kind of name I'd have would be Goose. Yeah. Um, Maverick. Yeah. Iceman's. Yeah, and I love the, uh, the way Iceman is, is introduced with Goose going, that's Iceman, and then they have a shot of Iceman. And he's, and he's just got a small cup of ice. <laughs> It's very on the nose. It's very like 80s pop videos and that, you know, the way they kind of have to act out every single lyric. <laughs> it's very like that. It's good that they didn't have to do that with Goose, isn't it? <laughs> they should have had his first appearance with him just carrying a goose. That would have oh. been very good. And um, Tom Cruise carrying a DVD of the movie Maverick. <laughs> Oh, it's a shame they couldn't get Ryan Gosling to be Goose's son. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. That would have been really good. Although um, um, yeah. their son has the call sign Rooster. So. Does he? Yeah. Oh, I love how much you know about this. You touched on earlier the fact that he hasn't, that Maverick plays volleyball and then doesn't take a shower. But then I, I want to talk about him going round the house and announcing that he's going to take a shower, which I've always, I think when I first saw it, I didn't understand because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that he was sweaty. I do now. But <laughs> when I first watched it, I thought, why is that what you do? This would, would have been before I had a date or anything, you know, kissed a man. And I, I think I thought, is that, is that just is that some kind of power move? You just turn up at a girl's house and you announce that you're going to go and use their shower. What is that? I mean, I suppose these days with energy bills being so high, he doesn't want, <laughs> you know, maybe he can't afford his gas bill or something. I don't know. But I, I guess, like you say, it shows that immaturity a bit where he hasn't prepared himself properly for this romantic encounter. Yes. 
um, and he's just turned up and has assumed he could just strut in and she's made dinner for him dinner means dinner what did, what did you think I meant sex yes is she supposed to be slightly older than him I mean not crazy older but I think maybe she has a bit more of a maturity to her oh she cer- she certainly looks yeah. as if she's yeah which which actually I think is something that makes it quite interesting as a as a match for a movie and something that's become rarer I think is that I think sort of um yeah the, the thing about her being a bit of an older woman is, is quite an interesting dynamic between the two no you're right because at that point he does sort of just seem like someone that hasn't really been on a on a date before like he might have slept around quite a lot but he hasn't you know gone to a woman's place and she's there kind of you know waiting to feed him some classy salad <laughs> I mean this is maybe he was hoping that if he turns up for a shower that's like let's cut the foreplay let's cut the chat Maybe, is that? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, will, I will be naked in your house in three minutes' time. Come and join me. Yeah. And she's like, nope. Which is great. Which yeah. is really good, yeah. I mean, wh- one thing that I think doesn't get enough acknowledgement, maybe particularly in 80s movies, is that I think that sometimes the idea is that when women watch these kind of movies they love the whole thing of a woman being swept off her feet and actually I think of some of the most watched 80s movies it's the woman that ends up making the ultimate kind of play or like the past that makes the these two people get together in the end I think that like you have it in Dirty Dancing don't mean to bring Dirty Dancing up again I know I always do (laughs) but um, where she says I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling again for the rest of my life the way I feel when I'm with you and that's the moment that they get together and I think you have it in like Pretty in Pink it's kind of non-verbal in Pretty in Pink but she's the one that sort of plants a big snog on him in Pretty in Pink she's the one that makes a move and again in Top Gun, I think one of the great things is that you ha- you see Maverick making a pass at Charlie a couple of times, and it's kind of awkward, and it's sort of cringe. And then she is the one, in the end, that actually makes the move when it comes to it. In that fantastic scene with her chasing him in her car. Oh, it's just amazing. It's so great. And I think that women really like that. They like seeing a woman, if she fancies a guy, they like seeing her go for it. She's so reckless. <laughs> She's so reckless. She's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's such a wonderful um, exchange of dialogue that I think. It wasn't the I don't know if it's an urban myth or actual fact that he forgot his line, so then he kissed her, and that was the kind of take that worked. No, really. Jesus Christ. And you think I'm reckless? When I fly, I'll have you know that my crew and my plane come first. Well, I'm going to finish my sentence, Lieutenant. My review of your flight performance was right on. Is that right? That is right. But I held something back. I see some real genius in your flying, Maverick, but I can't say that in there. I was afraid that everyone in that tax trailer would see right through me. And I just don't want anyone to know that I've fallen for you. It's such a wonderful moment. It's so ridiculous. It's so incredible. <laughs> Don't say any more. You've you've won me over. <laughs> it is good. Like this, <laughs> the fact if, if that is true, then the fact that he's like I can't. What I have no comeback. Just kiss. Just kiss. 
you know this this hard really senior professional proper top of her game yeah uh, flight analyst has just melted yeah because she's, I mean, a, we, she's human yeah we talked about this a little bit in uh, when we talked about the movie superman didn't we where mm. part of what might make some of these films feel particularly appealing to a male audience sometimes is that thing of being able to I think you put it when we talked about Lois Lane to reduce reduce a highly professional woman to jelly and um, that that's kind of part of the appeal what do you think? I think so I think it's, <laughs> it's just the ultimate leveller isn't it? Yes sometimes you just got to kiss them you just can't help yourself but then yeah you go into one of the most ridiculous sex scenes ever on film. <laughs> it is like that again is like a music video. Um, yes, very billowy. Mm, yeah. And I mean, again, I I wonder if anyone's done a comparison. I mean, I, I believe someone did that, that suggested that Rocky Four had a montage percentage of about thirty-two percent. I wonder what Top Gun is for oh, montages. That's, that's very interesting. Um. Yeah. But um but yeah, oh god the tongues. It the was The tongues just... are really pronounced. I, and yeah. Tung 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 tung. Well it it's it, this is relevant to our discussions because we in this um we recently talked about the Thomas Crown affair mm. and that had an extended kissing scene that's pretty famous. And we were talking about how it's quite striking actually that scene, how they have a really long snog but there's no tongue and it does feel as if there's been a note from the studio which is that you can do this but you can't put the tongue in that's just gonna you know <laughs> send our ratings into into the stratosphere um whereas it's like at this point in the 80s because that's in the 60s but by this point they've they've been given the go-ahead and they're really not going to hold back it's grotesque <laughs> in a way I I mean it's it's porno tongue. It's so drastic. It's strange. I, I oh, let's hope he showered before that. Well, it's it's very interesting. I think again coming back to Tony Scott being a, a British director because Adrian Lynn, who's just um, come uh, back with the film uh, Deep Water with. Ben Affleck in it, which is an erotic thriller, and you know he's he's very well known for making these erotic thrillers. You know, in, into his eighties now. Um, you know, one of his most famous movies is Nine and a Half Weeks, where you know you have the the nipple and the ice cube and the people eating the contents of their fridge off each other and and stuff. And um, this is actually quite similar, isn't it? This scene to 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 that kind of movie making in in the eighties. It's also a bit similar to the video for Careless Whisper by George Michael and yeah you just think the Brits they're just kind of filthy <laughs> they're given yeah. a big budget and sent to America they go crazy we've, we've got this lady who was last seen in Witness um, <laughs> yeah. we need to get we need to get a tongue <laughs> I wonder what the casting the audition was for this show us your tongue She's really great in Witness and um, 
the fact that she made this the year after and it's such a different kind of role and such a different kind of movie is testament to her range I reckon so what would you say maybe incorporating the relationships what would you how would you sum up the appeal of Top Gun I I think it has it's kind of like a a polygamy thing to it because Maverick's in three relationships at once He's mm. almost like one of those kind of farces where he's trying to juggle three sort of girlfriends, three dates at the same time. You know, he's got Goose, who he's in love with. Iceman, who he's kind of in this love-hate relationship with. It's mostly hate at the beginning. Or a kind of professional rivalry. And then Charlie, who he's pursuing. I mean, one of the lines he said was, um, if I see something, I go after it. Yeah. It's like she, she is to be pursued. And I think that they all have such different dynamics between Maverick and, and the three of them. Um, and they all end in very different ways. The less said about Goose, the better, because I might tear up. But, um, but when, yeah, when, when Charlie comes into the bar and puts the Righteous Brothers on, yeah, it's all very, all very romantic as he suddenly grows four inches in order to kiss her at a high level. <laughs> Well, as we drop the karaoke mic and give our aviators a good wipe, we leave you the question, how many checks has your ego written that your body can't cash? I've been Rich. I've been Kat, and this has been Don't You Want Me. <laughs> <laughs>